Hi, I'm Helena Cobbin, the owner of Just World Books. Tensions in East Asia have been much in the news recently, both in the Korean Peninsula and in the Senkaku Islands in the East China Sea, where China and Japan both seem to have been trying to back up their claims to the islands. On April 26th, I sat down in Washington, D.C. with Ambassador Chaz W. Freeman, Jr., a longtime U.S. diplomat and former Assistant Secretary of Defense, who is a very experienced China watcher, and the author of our recently released title, Interesting Times, China, America, and the Shifting Balance of Prestige. The book is available from our website, www.justworldbooks.com. When we talked, Ambassador Freeman was just back from a 10-day visit to China, during which he had numerous intriguing conversations with high officials about issues of current concern. Here's how he described those conversations in our discussion. I'm uh, sitting here with uh, Ambassador Chaz Freeman, who on April 25th got back from a, a visit a, to China. About a 10-day trip to uh, Beijing and uh, Shanghai for discussions with uh, um, old friends, Chinese officials, military officers, uh, diplomats, and the like. Well, that's wonderful, because you also, of course, have your new book, Interesting Times, China, America, and the Shifting Balance of Prestige, that is available for purchase. And I'm sure that a lot of the issues and topics that you covered in the book are obviously of burning concern right now. For example, um, those islands um, in the East China Sea that are contested between the Chinese and Japanese right now. And of course, you did talk a little bit about the succession in China and the new leadership under Xi Jinping. Um, so let's dive right on in and take you somewhere else to North Korea, for example. I think the uh, North Korean issue, uh, or the, Kore the issue in the Korean Peninsula, has uh, reached a level of uh, gravity that it really has not had for a long time. <clears throat> um, the uh, new leader of North Korea, young uh, Kim Jong-un, um, is apparently trying to prove himself to the uh, various forces in his uh, country, the security forces, the armed forces in particular. And um, he has chosen to do this by manufacturing a nuclear crisis and um, generating all sorts of threats against both South Korea and the United States. Um, and I think uh, everyone in the region, including the Chinese, see this as a very dangerous situation. Not that he wants a war, but he is creating the circumstances in which a war could easily happen by misjudgment or some sort of uh, mishap. And what are they proposing to do about this? Well, China's um, been looked to by the United States for the past uh, two decades, really, to try to uh, rein in North Korea. Um, and the Chinese have found this a very frustrating task, uh, indeed quite exasperating. Um, and I think at the moment um, they are... Uh, not very optimistic about their ability to do anything with North Korea. Uh, in fact, um, although North Korea is, of course, a neighbor and has functioned in many ways as a buffer state, there are people in China now 
who say that it's far more trouble than it's worth, um, and uh, who are beginning to think about alternative approaches in Korea that would uh, sideline Pyongyang. And um, in the meantime, the, the crisis has to be managed. Well, this is a problem. Uh, there are three issues, perhaps. First, how do we talk to North Korea? Because obviously, when you have a problem of the sort we do, uh, we need to have a dialogue. Uh, the six party talks, which have been going on for the last decade, have run their course, probably cannot be revived. And so um, we need to start talking among ourselves, that is, the various great powers concerned, about how to conduct a dialogue with North Korea. That's the first problem. The second problem is that we really don't have mechanisms for managing incidents uh, on the peninsula, military incidents, political uh, incidents, um, uh, problems that could uh, lead to a war. There was an armistice commission, but uh, at North Korean request, China suspended its participation in that almost 20 years ago, or 21 years ago, actually. Uh, North Korea has now denounced the armistice agreement and walked out of the commission. And so there's no way for the various parties uh, to communicate in order to damp down the, any course of events that might lead to uh, conflict. And finally, of course, you can't really deal with uh, tactical issues of controlling conflict and incidents if you don't have a clear idea of what you want in the long run in Korea. The Korean people clearly want some sort of unification. Um, China and the United States, uh, and I suppose others as well, uh, see this as, uh, as something logical and maybe even desirable, uh, but are very concerned that it, it occur by peaceful rather than, um, than uh, uh, violent means. So uh, we need to talk about that as well. And the fact is that uh, these are military issues largely, and the U.S.-China relationship uh, is very undeveloped in the military sphere. But we have a pivot toward Asia. That might be part of the problem from the Chinese point of view. Um, they believe that they were assured by the United States that before any major change in U.S. overall strategic posture, they would be briefed. They learned about the so-called pivot or rebalancing from the press, uh, and they have interpreted it, um, I think not, uh, not uh, strangely, as uh, directed at them. Uh, so uh, they see this as a hostile act in the midst of numerous other crises in their region. North Korea, of course, as we just mentioned, um, the Senkaku or Diaoyu Islands, which are the subject of a dispute with Japan, uh, Chinese frictions over claims in the South China Sea with various Southeast Asian nations, and occasional flare-ups of tension on the Sino-Indian border. Um, and of course, uh, you add the pivot to that, and it's quite a handful for any new government to contemplate. I guess we're not hearing so much about the pivot now here in Washington, D.C. Um, so is there a possibility of some alternative way of managing this shift in the balance of power? It's perfectly sensible for the United States to recognize the centrality of East Asia uh, 
the return of Asia to its traditional position over the millennia of uh, the global center of economic gravity. Uh, and it's quite clear that uh, the most dynamic societies in the world now are on the Pacific, not on the Atlantic. So it's natural for the United States to want to turn its attention uh, to the Pacific. Uh, the, man the manner in which we have done so was unnecessarily alarming, and I think uh, there is good ground for trying to fine-tune, uh, redefine, if you will, um, the rebalancing that we're, we're doing, so that it is more supportive of peaceful change in East Asia and less uh, apparently opposed to any change. Uh, the fact is that uh, after 200 years, China once again has the ability to defend not only its territory, but the approaches to its territory. And it is, again, the greatest military power in Asia. Everyone in the, in the region must adjust to this. They know it. They don't want to have to choose between China and the United States. Uh, they don't want Asia divided into spheres of influence between China and others, including the United States. But they do look to the United States to provide them with reassurance as they accommodate these new realities and adjust their relationships with each other and with China uh, to, uh, to uh, take care of them. So um, if you look at these, the situation in East Asia, obviously we don't have a single kind of US-led alliance as we do in Europe, where you have NATO within which differences can be discussed and something like a common policy can emerge. In, in East Asia, you have a whole series of bilateral commitments that the United States has with various um, East Asian actors. Um, and I guess maybe the one that we should talk about now is, is Japan, which has a new right-wing government. Um, and obviously, you mentioned the incidents in the, in, around the Senkaku Islands. Um, how do the people in, in Beijing or elsewhere in China think that that's going to get resolved? Well, East Asia is very different from other regions, as you say. Um, it's the only region in the world without some kind of collective security structure or overall uh, uh, international organization uh, to facilitate the resolution of problems. Uh, in the United States, since the end of World War II, when we defeated Japanese militarism and occupied Japan and attempted to reform Japan, uh, has been the overall balancer and the lubricator and manager of relationships in the region. Uh, obviously, with the shifts of power and prestige that are going on, um, there needs to be some new set of arrangements. Uh, and that, in fact, is, uh, is what um, I think we are working toward. In the meantime, however, Japan is ill at ease, facing difficult transitions. Uh, from the time of the Meiji Restoration, the middle of the 19th century, uh, to uh, just a decade ago, Japan became accustomed to being number one in Asia. Now it's eclipsed by China again, as it had been in earlier centuries. Are we talking at the economic level, politically? What are we talking about here? Well, China, the whole region is now, in a sense, Sinocentric. 
Um, it is not only the place, China is not only the place where the world's supply chains converge, it's where the economies of East Asia converge. It's the greatest trading power of every, uh, greatest trading partner of every country in the region. And um, this means that it has a level of influence uh, and reach that no other country, including Japan, does. Politically, China is also, has also been very deft until recently in conciliating its neighbors, uh, something which Japan has not done. Japan is seen by many of its neighbors as lacking in remorse or even uh, recognition of the uh, crimes that its military committed in World War II. So that's a kind of a set of claims and um, sorrows and resentments that is born not only in China, but also in Korea and elsewhere in East Asia, presumably the whole uh, legacy of Japanese militarism. From the yes, it's a, it's a problem everywhere, but mainly in China, which lost 35 million people to the Japanese, uh, 14 years of Japanese invasion and occupation of China, and Korea, which of course uh, was a colony of Japan uh, for 35 years and felt uh, greatly abused by the Japanese during that, that period. Um, uh, earlier history, um, uh, it, especially with Korea, also uh, makes the Japanese uh, somewhat mistrusted. Uh, and uh, so the Japanese have not uh, uh, been able to uh, exercise the sort of political leadership uh, that uh, I, the size of their economy and their, uh, uh, their uh, stature uh, would otherwise have, uh, have given them. Uh, now we have a problem uh, of a uh, military nature between China and Japan. Partly it's a Japanese reaction to China's uh, growing military power. Uh, partly it's uh, Japanese assertiveness with respect to island claims, particularly uh, with China, but not just with China, with Korea, uh, and now with Russia as well. Um, these claims date from the last uh, 120 years or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Senkaku or Diaoyu issue, which divides China and Japan, arose first in 1895 when Japan secretly seized those islands. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, in the Chinese view, uh, uh, reneged on their obligation after 1945 to return them to China. Uh, the Japanese view is that they were uninhabited, that Japan annexed them uh, properly, uh, and uh, that they have been part of Okinawa prefe Prefecture uh, for uh, at least uh, the last 110 or 150 years, and therefore um, it is China that is raising an irrelevant issue, not mm -hmm. Japan. Uh, anyway, the two sides don't agree, and the Japanese go so far as to deny that there is any dispute, which makes it a little difficult to get talks going. Um, the Chinese really, I think, uh, want to see this issue shelved as it had been between China and Japan uh, in earlier decades. That is, they disputed sovereignty over these islands, but neither did anything to enforce their claim. Uh, so uh, the Chinese would like to go back to some version of the neutralization of these islands without prejudice to the claims of either side. 
and uh, that may they, be possible. They're all related now, aren't they, to kind of maritime, I mean, seabed resource issues? Well, the issue was inflamed by a United Nations study of seabed resources, which suggested that there might be oil and gas near the Jiaoyu or Senkaku Islands. That was in 1968. In 1971, the United States and Japan began to uh, conclude what uh, the process of returning Okinawa to Japanese uh, sovereignty and control. Uh, the Japanese asked the United States to recognize they had sovereignty over the Senkaku Islands. The United States declined to recognize that, but did acknowledge that Japanese had control, administrative control. So in 1972, as China normalized its relations with Japan and did not want to talk about this contentious issue, uh, Japan recovered Okinawa and along with it, administrative control of the Senkakus. This is an extremely complex issue with roots in ancient history and in the wars of aggression that Japan conducted in the, in the 20th century, well, actually the end of the 19th mm -hmm. century and the 20th century. Um, and it's one which the United States, frankly, didn't handle very well. So you've been um, intimately involved at a fairly high level, obviously higher and higher throughout your career in um, U.S.-China diplomacy since the late 1960s, including, of course, your um, accompanying President Nixon on his breakthrough visit um, to then Peking, in 1972. How do you look at the, I mean, this is a, as we say in the title of the book, interesting times. Um, obviously, China's prestige and power and sense of self-confidence and economic power um, have all multiplied a hundredfold over the last 40 years. Um, US power hasn't been doing too bad until perhaps 2008. Um, and now we have a new leader in China. How do you think he's going to be handling this relationship? And what do you expect? What is the best that you can expect from Washington in terms of a response? Well, a great deal of the book is about um, the, uh, the rise in Chinese prestige and influence um, and the challenge that this presents in terms of managing the relationship. Um, historically, from the time that Thucydides first uh, described it, there has been a problem when an emerging power, a rising power, in, in, uh, encounters an established power. Um, the Chinese are well aware of this, and uh, Mr. Xi has uh, proposed that uh, we try to work out what he calls a new type of great power relationship, which would avoid the Thucydides trap and would um, allow uh, China's uh, rise to be accommodated peacefully by the United States. Um, this has all sorts of implications, which are only now beginning to be considered by the two sides. I think the United States is taking Mr. Xi's idea seriously, um, but is coming to it somewhat belatedly. Um, it has military elements. It has economic and, of course, it has political elements, uh, and frankly, I think uh, both sides 
should be pleased that there's very little substantive content yet, um, because that gives us a chance to work out the con content uh, together. And I think the Chinese are ready for that. Um, do you think the United Nations can play a role in helping to build this new type of great power relation? Or will there be other structures? Obviously, a lot of this will happen bilaterally. Um, will it happen mainly through sort of military to military, people to people, government to government, business to business? Well, I think uh, actually the United Nations is part of the reason that there needs to be a new type of great power relationship because the UN Security Council, the UN as the organizer of global governance, has become ever less effective in recent times. Um, and the reason it's less, less effective is that uh, power in the world is devolving to regions um, and to multiple great powers. There's no longer a bipolar world order. Of course, the Soviet Union is no more. If there were ever a unipolar moment, uh, that is long past. And the United States must now share power internationally with many other countries, including uh, some like China and India that were eclipsed by Western colonialism not so long ago. Uh, so uh, how will this be worked out? Uh, first of all, it will be a bilateral process. It will involve not only the U.S. and China, of course, uh, but Russia and China, Russia and the U.S., I hope, um, India and China, India, Russia, and the United States. Uh, and if Europe can ever get its act together, it probably would involve um, a united Europe as well. Uh, Brazil is in this uh, package uh, uh, as is perhaps uh, South Africa. Uh, so um, what we're talking about is relationships which are based on a greater sense of equality, uh, no single dominating power, uh, which, are, uh, which reflect uh, a coordination of policy rather than rigid alliance structures or obligations, and um, which are worked out in response to concrete problems. But one such problem is the Korean problem. We really need to find a way uh, to talk about the long-term prospects for Korea to handle incidents in the short term, uh, and of course to resume some diplomatic process uh, with North Korea. Is that something that the United States has a special role in, in helping to, to foster that? I mean, it does involve close allies like South Korea, Japan, which is very close to Korea, um, Taiwan potentially. Well, if the pivot is to mean anything, uh, it must mean that the United States plays an active role in promoting the peaceful resolution of disputes uh, and in keeping the peace. And uh, in Korea, uh, this has to involve not just the United States as the traditional guarantor of South Korea or China as the traditional guarantor of North Korea, but also Japan as a neighboring country with interest in serious interests in the peninsula, and Russia, which has a border with North Korea. Uh, so um, I think it is a complicated uh, situation. Uh, but the fact that it's complicated uh, should spur us on, not, uh, not uh, lead us to sit on the sidelines 
and do nothing as a very dangerous situation evolves without any control. Ambassador Freeman, thank you very much for this conversation and for writing this fabulous book, um, Interesting Times, China, America, and the Shifting Balance of Prestige. Very much my pleasure. Ambassador Freeman's book on China, like his earlier volume from Just World Books, America's Misadventures in the Middle East, can be bought from our website, www.justworldbooks.com, or from any reputable book retailer, whether online or on your local Main Street. That's all from us for now. Thanks for listening.